1: Welcome to NFL Total Access the locker room I'm Michael Robinson and I'm Mike Garofolo Mike Rob today we've got a guy who was just a fantastic player I mean every time I watched him his ability to do a little bit of everything to run with power when those legs got churning, mm-hmm. he was tough to get a hold of and tough to bring down. And at any moment, he could take it to the house. I'm talking about uh, former Rams running back, Stephen Jackson, also the Falcons and the Patriots, as we'll get into later on. Don't ever miss that Belichick story. <laughs> Everybody's got one that's been in and around Foxborough. He's got some good ones uh, all, all throughout, but certainly his story about New England.
2: Yeah, he got a great story about New England. And he also validated another guy's locker room story. You guys don't want to miss it. And here we have Jeezy. I'm a big fan of this dude. Huge fan of this guy. He's the Rams all time leading rusher. And I don't even think people really understand how great this guy was. Running back, Steven Jackson. Welcome to the show, big dog. Man, I appreciate it. What's up, guys? Man, we're doing great. Now, look, you know, as we talked before we came, before we went live, Right. We do a locker room story before to start every show. Now's your turn to bless us with a, a dope locker room story. Oh, man. a uh, lot
3: of locker room stories, but I guess I'll go with one that I'm not truly a part of, but it's one yeah. that I have to kind of maybe share with you guys that I think is one of the greatest pranks that I've <laughs> bear I've been bear, able to bear witness to.
1: Okay. So it was
3: it was just Fisher's first year with the Rams, right? And he was he brought in Cortland Finn again. He brought some guys over with him that was trying to change the culture in St. Louis.
2: They were feisty. Let's they see. were
3: very <laughs> feisty guys, right? So imagine though, know, guys like myself have been there. All I know is St. Louis at the time. I'm like, whoa, they they're on a different level with their their pranks. So first the first thing that happened was the defense, they had this internal battle about who could up. The ante on one another. I'm like, just keep it on the defense. Like, just as long as you do that, we're good. So all of a sudden, we're having a practice, and all of, you just see the whole like I think it was the linebacker core, all of their their cars on um, on a flatbed. What right like across? So we we practice on like on a, like you know several fields, field yeah. office, But across the way there was like a a parking lot for like these these factories, kind of like you know buildings. And all you just see the flatbed. You just see all these nice like you know you got the G wagon, you got the real, you got all these different nice high end cars on a flatbed. And everybody all of a sudden practices get disturbed. Like yo, that's my car. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so come to find now, um, tell the story a little bad. I'm telling it backwards. So it was the DB cars and Cortland Finnegan was having a so like he was going crazy. He was like, I'm gonna find mm-hmm. out who did this to us. Da da da! It ain't over, kind of thing. So the linebackers were behind it. So Cortland runs it up, right? <laughs> Everybody knows him. If you know, if you played against him, he's very competitive. But yep. that doesn't just stop on the football field. So he gets James Laronitis at the time had a very brand new Range Rover, it was a beautiful car. And he puts hundreds upon hundreds of crickets, live crickets inside. He went to like to a fishing bait, to like you know kind of spot, and just dumps all these crickets in the back of this Range Rover. Mind you, not only the smell, but he <laughs> couldn't get rid of them. Right, but this goes on. So he's he's about to be like in tears. He's so pissed. He's like <laughs> he's like who's gonna clean my car? Yeah. They had his car detail like five times. And once we thought it was really done, like I had to intervene. Everybody had to get involved. It, was, it got a little, they got a little rowdy, got ugly.
2: Yeah, I'd be upset
3: about we finally, that. We finally got this thing so clean. We thought it was done. It was over with. On his way home, he's admitted this. He turned about his AC unit. <laughs> <laughs> no
2: way, bro! <laughs> Why y'all do that, man? Like that? Yeah, I, was,
3: I felt so bad for James. I, I felt so bad. I said,
2: Times have changed. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, where, where I come from, that's you know, you we have an altercation. We got, it blows. Yeah, up yeah, yeah, we, we putting yeah. our hands up. And actually, Stephen, this is how I know that's very true. First of all, you a solid dude. Second of all, um, we had Chris Long come on the show and tell the same exact story. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> so that's how I know it was dope. You got was by. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Man, wow. this is. Listen, we're right around Halloween. That is some horror movie yeah. type yeah. stuff. When you flip on the AC and the crickets Ugh. start flying out of there, man, uh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So to your to your NFL career and and, and Mike Rob uh, to your point, if people don't remember how good he was, I mean, yeah. uh, home run threat, the ability to kind of take it to the house at any moment. Um, and, and you were coming out in two thousand four. Uh, now, the Cowboys were your dad's favorite team, and I think they had a pick uh, two or three spots in front of you and they wound up uh, dealing it away. I mean, take us through that that moment there where you thought maybe I might be a Cowboy and and uh, uh, maybe the disappointment of that and and, and winding up really in, in a good spot anyway.
3: Yeah, so uh, um, you, you hit it on the head. My dad was a, a Cowboy fan. He's from Arkansas, so, you know, back then in the South, you're anywhere close to proximity there, you're a Cowboy fan, so – um, growing up in a Cowboys household, I always was an annoying kind of son. I, I, you know, I rooted Buffalo Bills. I mean, I just always yeah. rooted the Cowboys because I just wanted to get on my dad's skin. He never gave me easy wins, right? So continuously, I had to learn that the hard way by going against the Cowboys in the early 90s. That being said, it gets to draft day, and a number of teams, you know, I was that guy that was invited to the green room, but back then, 15-minute um, rounds, you know, 10 guys particularly was invited, and there was – I was on that cusp, you know, I could, it could easily go top 10, but I could easily, yeah. have, you know, slide, what me happen? So we decided not to, thinking that was a safer decision, but ESPN convinced us to bring in the cameras. Oh, right? so, yeah. You know, so at least, <laughs> at least in the green room, you can hide, you can't hide from the camera at right <laughs> home. <laughs> like, I gotta go to the bathroom. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so um, the projector started to slide, and I'll, I'll give you this, um, the 16th pick was the San Francisco 49ers. And at the time, the head coach was Dennis Erickson, mm-hmm. who was my head coach in college, who left Oregon State to become 49ers head coach. Right. So I, in my head, I'm like, that's the safety net. If anything's going to happen, the 49ers mm-hmm. going to draft me. And that didn't happen. So we get to the Cowboys in the, in the 20, I think they were 21st or something like that pick. And they decided to swap picks and um, the Buffalo Bills took J.P. Lawson at the time. I was devastated. I was pissed. You know, I, I wanted to be a cowboy in one sense for my dad. But in another sense, I didn't want to. And then when it didn't happen, I was like, "See, that's why I'm not a cowboy fan." Like, you know, kind, yeah. of, like, <laughs> kind of thing. But yeah, it was um, it was a thing that I think it hurt my dad more than anything. I, you know, I don't, I don't yeah. have to seen him with any cowboy memorabilia ever again. So he, he converted to a Rams fan.
1: <laughs> now, now I'm looking at this the way it went because I'm thinking to myself, well, who did San Francisco wind up taking? They traded out. They yep. that they traded – the Eagles came up and got Sean Andrews. Uh, I, I remember I was covering the Eagles draft that year, okay. and the Eagles came flying up to go get Sean Andrews. So it, it's – at the very least, at least he didn't take another player over you, right? It was a trade mm-hmm. out. It, it, probably a deal – did he ever say anything to you about that? Did <laughs> you ever talk to him after that?
3: We've definitely talked. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've talked about it several times. I think he brings it up out of just like an icebreaker sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like – it wasn't my fault, kind of thing. But um you kind of learn that the NFL is a business, and the head coach doesn't always get the last say. Yeah,
2: yeah. And we'll just leave it at that. You there know? you go. There yeah. you go. Now, over ten thousand yards with the Rams, and Jeezy, I got to, I got to paint a picture for you, bro. Because I played them a few times, playing for the Niners, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to crack on St. Louis, but it won't many people in the stands half of the time we was playing you can literally hear this dude running down the field. That's how fast he was running. That's how powerful of a runner he was. And I remember when you ran past us one time, I'm like, damn, that dude way bigger than I thought, man. How are we going to tackle him? Like, this, th- th- that Rams organization, they've had Eric Dickinson, Marshall Falk, Todd Gurley. Do you ever sometimes feel like the forgotten dude? You know what I'm <laughs> saying? Because you were, a, you were the, the guy there for a number of years. And again, I... I was some of the teams that lost to y'all. You know what I'm saying? I don't think we were supposed to, but we did. But how, what's your mental on that? Have you ever felt like, man, damn, I don't get the respect I deserve? Yeah,
3: I do. You know, I think, but that's that has to play with the losing seasons in a small market, not being on a lot of primetime television, and even to be in the NFL, it's quite different today than it is. You know what it was ten years ago when we played. You know, you can watch a live game on your on your phone now. So playing playing in a in a losing on a losing market in a smaller market uh, just didn't leave for a lot of my highlights to be shared around the world. You know, you think about some of the some of the great runs of even just a decade ago. I think I've had some of those that's comparable, right? And and mm-hmm. but they wasn't on a big scene, so they get forgotten. So then you have somebody like Marshall goes and play in the Super Bowl, and I mean he's he's a dual threat and one of the best to ever play the, the position, but. You had Eric E.D. in, in L.A. You had Ty Gurley in L.A. So mm-hmm. there's a natural gravitation that's going to happen to those two guys. And with Marshall being in the bigger games, I am the forgotten person because I just didn't have those memories.
0: Mm.
1: Well, that's I, a I'm damn looking shame. At, you know, I'm going back through the production, and I'm saying this guy was productive for a long time. It was even longer. I mean, it <laughs> look, at the, look at the touches. Though. Exactly, Jeezy. Exactly. When you look at his statue, you like, damn. what talk about this dude more? It's, it's it's not even – like I knew the stats were good, Stephen. I, I I knew they were good. What's impressive to me that I look back on this is the touches, okay? 2006, 436. Uh, Stop moving on me. 2009, 375. 2010, 376. 302. And by the way, the years that I'm skipping over are because they weren't 300, but they were in the high twos. So, you know, I, I, what, what was the – secret to your longevity uh, i mean what could what did you do over your career what did you learn as you went through yeah. your career to make sure that you could handle that kind of workload
3: yeah i mean i think on top of those years you skipped over i had some receptions around 30 yep. 40 at the time right so um uh, you know it was one of those things that i really embraced i looked up to guys that never came off the field right so the 90s running backs that come off the field regardless of how big they were they were just always on the field three three down kind of runners then I inherently go to St. Louis where Marshall Fulton come off the field because he was a dual threat. Mm. And that was a responsibility that Mike Marshall was like, yo, if you want to play in this offense, you need to be able to do the same thing. Yeah. So I didn't know any better. I grew up idolizing that kind of player. And then I walked into that kind of situation. So I, to me, it was like if I came off the field, it was because I needed a breather. And that 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 particular guy who was on the team backing me up, this is just a chance to showcase it for a couple of carries because I'm coming right back kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, Seeing running backs now willfully give up carries is crazy to me. I'm sure they're probably a lot healthier than, you know, compared to generations before. But when you talk about opportunities and you want to get that second and third bite at the apple of a contract, it came in me showing that you were consistently available.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring
2: Now, uh, Jack, who, who were some of the runners you kind of looked up to as you were as your journey as you were going through your journey getting to the National Football League? Did you model yourself after anybody?
3: I was a mixture of a lot of guys, man. I kind of talk about it on my social media sites uh, all the guys I looked up to a lot. But um, for instance, I like to talk about guys that's forgotten, like myself. So like a Ricky Waters, love him, oh. love him to death. You know, dual threat. He had the flash, the flare, the screen. You know, he he did that. But also there were guys like Terry Allen, you know, uh, you know, you watching football club that he ran the hell out of. But you were talking about power earlier, you know, mm-hmm. we were offline. He was one of the best power uh, runners because he was so patient. He trusted the a gap till it wasn't there, kind of situation. So I really learned how to run that that play, particularly from watching a lot of film of him. And then you think about the bigger guys, the Eddie George, you know, um, um, you even go back to Ed. Those guys mm-hmm. are taller, bigger running backs. So I watched and model myself after them, just seeing how they dealt with contact. Then you know you think about the bus. People don't realize how good his feet was, man. I mean that guy had tremendous feet in track. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times I would I would do a lot of rope drills and things on the football field, just just practicing stepping over hands, stepping over people trying to get underneath. Nobody wanted to hit me up top. I was realistic about that, so I had to have good feet.
2: That's
1: perfect, man. That's yeah. perfect, Jesus. Jesus you, yeah. Got? To um go go back to Mike Martz for a second. You 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 talked about him. Um, th- this guy was. a a revolutionary in a lot of ways uh back when he was coaching and then and then kind of fell off the map i mean i I remember reading stories over the last couple years about whatever happened to mike martz and how come he he kind of faded away and really didn't get another chance uh, go back to him as as your as your coach and you know i've I've heard mixed reviews as a head coach but from an offensive standpoint and from some of the stuff that he was drawing up i mean he's an acquired
2: What's that? He's an acquired taste, Jeezy. He was my yeah, coach. Yeah,
1: but, but <laughs> from a schematic standpoint, dude was on his game, right?
3: He he was, you know, I would say, you know, one of my first meetings in the NFL and uh, it was uh, off season, you know, we were there early in May or something like that. And literally went off as a meeting. He's coaching the offense through. And he's talking to the receivers about trusting. That you need to be, you need to be inside the hash on a rap four kind of thing. Because when Bolger lets it go, he's letting it go on timing. Not where you're going to be, and if they're throwing a the ball in the place of trust in a the spot. Then all of a sudden, you see Tori hold on, Bruce flash on film, and just boom, you know, they catch it with the hand. He's like, "Whoa!" Like you coming from a college program, and that football was, you know, it wasn't the it wasn't the best, right? So we stepped to that level of of just seeing execution at that. It was like, "Whoa! This is a different level." But on the flip side of that, what I think when when Mike talks about his acquired taste is he was so entrenched with his thoughts and his beliefs about how things was going to work. He was somewhat unwilling to change with the talent that maybe had been on the roster on that particular time. And I think that's where it was Achilles heels was that he was unwilling to just bend a little bit. And so he could get the reproduction or the replenish the talent that he
1: needed to continue down the offense that he wanted to run. You know did what? You try to, what I I'm sorry, as, as a as a team leader, as a as a guy who was a really good offensive, did you try to communicate that to him? I mean, I always I always wonder as a player, you, you probably should do that, but there's a line that maybe you don't cross. I only got a year and a half on Mike. We know,
3: uh, the organizational go in the middle of my second year in the NFL. So I was a That's young fair. pup. I was a young pup. Uh I was, you know, to be honest with you, I was I wouldn't say I was intimidated by him because my dad, I mean, my dad's a Marine. So, I mean, intimidation and yelling at you, then get underneath my skin. And Mike my, my tends to try to intimidate you sometimes. Um, but what I will say about Mike was I did respect his offensive of mind. I just wish that our communication with one another would have been a little bit more fluid. Mm. I, I still think I could have learned a lot from him even to this day. And I, I think I know the game pretty well.
2: It's funny you say that, Jack, because... It, I think he took that same trust speech and when he came to San Francisco with us he said the same damn thing yeah. and when I ended up getting some personal time with him to talk to him I'm like bruh we got Isaac Bruce now and he's old he this yeah. is not when, when you was in the greatest show on turf Tory Holt and no no on the other side you see what I'm saying we don't have yeah. Kurt Warner and Mark Bolger throwing the football we had Sean Hill love Sean Hill we had Sean Hill at the time you know what I'm saying and I think the, intimidate, the intimidating part came from he was such a smart dude. He used big words when he was talking football. I mean, he, he was so <laughs> cerebral that it intimidated you. You didn't even want to challenge him on some of the things he was saying. But what I want to ask you this, uh, Stephen, is your time when you were leaving St. Louis, right? I got cut from the San Francisco 49ers. It was a time I was pissed off. You know, it was my first team I was with. Just talk about that transition when you you spent, I think, nine seasons there. And then all of a sudden, you make the change. How was that transition for you? It was tough. Um, you know,
3: the organization and I, we left, I wouldn't say on the best of terms, but respectable terms. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there were some things that were said and done prior to free agency that I, I knew I had a chance to be on, on day one available, right? And everybody doesn't get that respect. Yeah. You know, it's just true. And mm-hmm. the way it goes sometimes. So I knew the respect from the organization was there. Now, what I didn't anticipate was when I made my decision to go to Atlanta, having to prove myself over again. And, I, you know, and, and when you get to a new locker room, you get to a new stadium, you know, you know Roddy White's the man, Julio was up yep. and coming. You know, you had Tony Gonzalez still on the, on the roster. So you had all these guys that was already proven, they already proven themselves with the organization. And here I come, supposedly, you know, the answer to the running game. And when you don't get the touches, or, you know, they don't understand how you need your feel, you're touching for the rhythm in the game. You look like a big dud. And that was a that was um that was frustrating because I knew my talent and ability just wasn't reproducing like I hoped it would out there. Just we just hadn't been in the trenches long enough. And then once you know you get in the season, people not trying to figure each other out. Now at this point, it's like, what are you doing? Show and prove kind of thing. So it was a little frustrating there having to prove myself over, and I wish I would have kind of realized that or talked to somebody. Saying like, go in there with that mentality, knowing that everything you've done in St. Louis, it don't it, mean it, nothing. It doesn't mean it. It doesn't mean a thing. Yeah.
1: You know, I, I I almost forgot about the the stint at in New England at the end of uh, at the end of your career. 15, yeah. Um, what's that? That was 15. Yeah. 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 Uh, what What was that? I mean, I know it was brief, but what, what was that experience like? And uh, Belichick. Had you talked to the team before the AFC cha- – was it before the AFC Championship game in 2016 against the Broncos?
3: He did. He did. Uh, so, uh, again, goes back to 04, Belichick. He was another another team that – they had two draft first first-round draft picks. They took Vince mm-hmm. Wolfer, and I can't remember who else they took in the first round. But uh, I spent a lot of time with Coach Belichick in my rookie year leading up to the draft, and he's, he was considering of taking me then. And fast forward to what you just said at 15 – he calls me up right cuz he's the GM so he like yeah. when he called me he was like this is this is bad. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like Yo, see, man, you know um LeGarrette Blount Blunt had just went down he was like we need a guy we need a big guy he like this is your chance kind of thing like mm-hmm. you don't want to tell yourself no i'm like Dude. like i just shut it down i had told myself that if i didn't get a call by october that it was over i wasn't i didn't want to be that guy just I just didn't want to be, you know, you know, you get what I'm saying. Hanging, on, uh, and mo-
2: hanging on and moving around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
3: <laughs> when October came, I had shut it down in my mind. So I get this call in December and, and it's like, whoa, how do you say no? To one, to a legendary coach, but to the opportunity that was ahead of me. So I take the call. I take the opportunity to get out there and things are going smooth, you know. And um, he asked me, like, yeah, can you talk to the team? I'm like. It's the biggest game of my life. You know, I'm Like, <laughs> well, what do you want me to say? Yeah, already got, you know, four or five championships at this time. And he's like, tell me a story. He was just like, tell me a story. So I'm like, okay, cool. So I get in there and he wanted me to tell my story on the on the behalf because they've only like Gronkowski at the, all he knows is NFC championship, AFC championship, mm-hmm. or Super Bowl. that's all he knows. He doesn't know anything different. And so I get in there, I tell my story. I'm like, God, there was a point in my career where I won six games in three seasons. You know, I went 3-13, and 13, two and 14 1-15 consecutively. And all those times, although I was a 1,000-yard rusher, winning six games, you guys do that, you know, before your bye week kind of thing. And to have a phone call from Belichick in the middle of what I thought was my retirement to get this opportunity, I could have been blind. I would have still came out and taken this off- advantage of this just because what you guys are touching and what you guys are doing is not normal. And many of you might want to switch opp- you know, switch careers. And I'll tell you, you know, um, there was some highs, there's some lows, but ultimately it's a team sport and everything I've, I've accomplished, I I've traded for what you guys have, you know, been able to do here. And, I, and it got the attention of a lot of people. And, you know, it was one of those things, um, Tom, you know, Brady was like, yo, thank you for that. Because even him, and that was shocking to him to hear that. Just, he was like, damn. Six games in three years? You know, he's like, yeah, man. Don't,
2: you don't have to repeat it. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, dog. That's that's huge, man. Like it's almost like he needed you to ground the team a little bit. You know what I'm saying? And and,
1: and that's exactly what your story did. Well, I, I would say this, and I, I always look at them from afar and say, or, or I did. I mean, it's yeah. it's all broken up now, but. It, it, how do you stay fresh? How do you stay on top? I mean, that's something that Brady does and it's something that, that the entire operation did while they were there. So it's gotta be stuff like that where you, where you find any edge that you can to try to keep yourself sharp. That's my, that's my read from afar. Anyway, Steven.
3: Yeah, that's what you're, you read it. Uh, well, you read it direct. And you know, one of, in one of my first meetings there, um, coach was taking, he was picking on two teams that was coming up on the roster, but there was a scenario where a player made a bonehead decision and, he stopped and had the whole team, all 50 or 60 of us, watch this scenario. I was like, if this ever happened, this is not what you do. And he <laughs> coaches you through the scenario why you don't do that. And it's not about either team getting ready for it. It's about the situation, to be ready for it, and prepare for it. And it makes a lot of sense where you see them come back in these close games because they're coached for the situation and not the, you know, the organization that getting ready to play necessarily.
2: Mm, um. So – I know we're going to wrap up here. I just I want to ask you about what you're doing with the Legends community, man. I see you all the time at almost every Legends event, man. We chop it up, man. Uh, we're impacting, you know, these coaches, uh, our Legends coaches that are out here in the community. Just talk about, your, you know, your role with the Legends community and what you're doing with the National Football League.
3: Yeah, so I've been with the Legends community now five years. I'm a Pacific Northwest coordinator based here in Las Vegas, where I work directly with the Las Vegas Raiders and the L.A. Rams. And what primarily what I am responsible for is um, the legends that seeking help in their in their transition from playing days to retirement. Be it if you want to need help building a resume out, um, you want to know, maybe possibly get into media coaching, give you some points and directions there to even talk about benefits. I've even been fortunate enough uh, um, to have this tough conversation with our brothers that may be going through depression or uh, other issues where we go through training to help these men uh, to get to the next step, to the next day. And, you know, maybe just the next, make the, get enough nerves and make the call of, that I need help. And being able to do that, it's just rewarding because all of us are not fortunate. We all don't have the long, you know, luxurious career that we all hope for. You go in day yeah. one, you think we're all gonna play 20 yeah. years and you have a Hall of Fame career, but it's not necessarily so. So being a legend and then being a coordinator here, you know, I take it with great pride and making sure that I keep guys encouraged. Keep guys motivated and letting them know that you know everything you've done on the football field is transferable to real life. It's just about deciding what that what it is that you want to do, and then we help you get in that you know in the right direction.
1: I I have one more uh, about the football stuff, but I, I I do want to hit on this one. Um, you know, I, I, it's I, it never ceases to amaze me that guys who who play um, a fast, violent sport um, with a lot of adulation uh, with a lot of, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, but, uh, a lot of, a lot of sensory motivation here, mm-hmm. you know, in, in what you're experiencing and all of a sudden it goes quiet for a lot of guys at an early age, at an age where regular old folks are, are starting to really get into their career. Yeah. And these guys are, you know, so, um, how do you, how do you communicate with guys that, you know, there's a lot of life left for you and, you, you can't just kind of skate here. I mean, you could try, but you, you probably won't find a lot of happiness and satisfaction that way. You know, how do you communicate with guys and, and talk to them about that?
3: For me I, try to bring gra- <clears throat> me, I try to bring gravity to the conversation. I talk to them about, you know, life expectancy. You know, mm-hmm. life expectancy here in the U.S., we are, as men, we're 78 years old, right? So you retire mm-hmm. from the sport in your 20s and your 30s. It's a lot of life to live. And then you start thinking about what else out there is that you want to accomplish and how I try to get people to look at it is there's other one or two things growing up that you said, if if I'm not gonna be a football player, I want to be this. Mm -hmm. Well, here's your opportunity to be that and you create your own narrative once yet again, by applying the same discipline, the same, almost the same rules, getting up early, having a plan, having a purpose and having a desire. And you get those guys to start seeing them as they are. They're legends. They're part of the small 1% of guys that made a living for playing a child sport and you try to just help them realign that same mentality in the new direction.
1: That's great work, man. Somebody's got to really do it. And somebody that, yep. that guys have respect for. And I, I, I know they have respect for you. Uh, but one more back to the football thing uh, for me. Um, I, I remember talking to LaShawn McCoy a couple of years ago about his chase for 12 K he called it 12,000 rushing yards. And the reason that 12,000 was the number for him was every guy who's on the rushing list at 12,000 yards or more, except for Frank Gore, uh, who will eventually be, but every other guy is in the, is in the hall of fame. Uh, the next guy is Fred Taylor. To me, Fred Taylor is a hall of famer. And I know that guys uh, who covered him are adamant that Fred Taylor is a hall of famer. Well, guess who's right on Fred Taylor's heels. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 11,000 four hundred and thirty eight yards right behind Fred Taylor at eleven thousand six hundred ninety five yards I, I know it's kind of an unfair question to a lot of guys but I've learned to ask it because somebody's got to advocate for you guys mm-hmm. and it might as well be yourself yeah every year when the Hall of Fame comes up and I know what last year I think was your first uh year of eligibility or, or the year before it was my first yeah do, do you consider yourself a gold jacket wearing guy and and, and are, are you hopeful that that'll that'll come for you someday
3: well, you know, this is how I answer that question. I think um, not only have my numbers are arguably with some of the best that i ever played in the history of the sport, but there are things that quietly that I take pride in that's not so much um, highlighted. Like my first career in the National Football League was a, a fumble, right? Mm-hmm. Out of anxiety and just excited for the moment. I didn't lose a fumble the last five years of my career, right? So I learned from that, and I and I perfected that. Um, I am one of five people to ever have a consecutive thousand yard rushing. Mm. Um, I don't know. The only person maybe comparable to what I had to endure was Barry Sanders. Right. So I, I, not, I don't only compare the numbers that I've been able to compile, but the situation, I think you have to bring gravity to the things I've able to accomplish, what I went through to do it. And when you start looking at the game through that lens and just not numbers, I think, you know, rightfully so my name should be considered and you let, you let the rest fall where they may.
2: Steven, I I agree with you, brother. You're a Hall of Famer to me, I'm sure, to Jeezy and everybody else that's come in contact with you. You're a Hall of Fame person too, man. I I can speak from experience every time I see you, bro. You dap me up. It's always love. You're always trying to help, man. I appreciate you coming on the show um, and, and stopping by. That'll do it for this week's episode of Total Access to Locker Room. For more insight with the locker room point of view, check out the latest episodes every Wednesday and Friday on Apple and Spotify.